Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This week we're going to be discussing 2 Nephi chapters 1 through 5. Uh, just uh, kind of recapping where, we've, uh, where we are so far. Um, Nephi and Lehi and their family have left, left Jerusalem. Uh, they've left the, the wilderness even, gotten to the land of Bountiful. They have then built a ship, got on the ship, and now they're in uh, the promised land. Uh, I don't know about anyone else. Maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just uh, because I'm a, I've, I've been studying this these specific chapters and principles and things, and so I'm more aware. But man, it feels like uh, I'm a little bit living uh, Nephi and Lehi and their family's journey. Uh, my bows have been breaking uh, lately in my life, and uh, but I've seen the hand of the Lord in, in carrying me. And, uh, I mean, as we get to Second Nephi chapter uh, 4 and Nephi's Solomon and, and the things that he says, and uh, he, he acknowledges the tribulation that he's been through, but then remembers that the Lord has delivered him through the deep, uh, the ocean, and uh, kept them safe through their travels and journeys. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it feels a little bit like uh, I've been living these chapters. And so uh, if that continues, I guess I just should uh, count down the days until we get to 3rd Nephi 11. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'll, go, we'll jump into the, this week's uh, chapters and discussion. So the first uh, few chapters, uh, just as an overview, I guess, uh, Lehi is going to be teaching his sons. The first three chapters are essentially just direct instruction from Lehi to his various sons. What's interesting is actually that there's not as much mention uh, as to what direct instruction he gave Nephi as there, are, as there is mention of, of his blessings to his other sons and things. And Second Nephi chapter two, where we get a great discourse on the fall of Adam and Eve and the atonement and and whatnot, uh, is actually him teaching his son Jacob, and uh, where we learn that uh, Joseph of Egypt prophesied of, about Joseph Smith is actually uh, Lehi teaching his son Joseph. Uh, in Second Nephi chapter one, it seems to be a collective where he's teaching uh, many of his sons, if not all of them. Uh, but he's giving them these these lessons, and then he closes his life by blessing his sons and his daughters and his family and his grandchildren, and uh, as a, as a great patriarch of a family, basically, um, he takes that responsibility seriously and blesses them before he passes away. And then he does he dies, and uh, Laman and Lemuel uh, do Laman and Lemuel type things and want to kill Nephi and anyone who likes him, basically. So they, they, they're, they're going to end up separating here in these chapters from the, the Laman and Lemuel, and it's kind of where we get our first divide of Lamanites, Nephites, going on. Um, so that's what we're going to discuss this week. So chapter one, uh, they're in the promised land, remember, and Lehi tells his sons, For behold, said he, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed. And had we remained in Jerusalem, we'd also have perished. Um, so Lehi gets a, has a vision that he knows that a, the captivity and the destruction that I that the Lord warned me about has actually occurred now. And if we get to, if you look at the bottom of the page in in scriptures, it'll tell you a, a an approximate date. Um, and so it's it's from things like this that we are able to get the dates because. We know when the Babylonian captivity happened, and so we can extrapolate and say, okay, this is about this time then when Lehi is saying this. And then throughout the scriptures, as people say this, many years passed, and then you can kind of count down, and you, or you can count back up from when Christ, uh, Christ's crucifixion and death and resurrection uh, to when he then appears to the, to the Nephites. And so you can kind of use these major dates that we have other uh, references for. Uh, to get the the dates. So this says that this is between 588 and 570 BC. Lehi has this vision that he that the Lord confirms that 
Jerusalem has been destroyed or and had been taken captive. Now, in uh, Omni, we read that uh, King Mosiah meets the people of uh, Zarahemla, and it's the Mulekites, okay? So that isn't, doesn't happen until about 400 years after Lehi's vision. So it's not until, you know, it takes 400 years for them to meet someone, the Mulekites, who are descendants of Mulek, who was a son of Zedekiah. And if you recall, in 1 Nephi chapter 1, uh, Nephi tells us who was the king in Jerusalem at the time. It was Zedekiah. And we can, you can read about Zedekiah more in, in the Old Testament and Jeremiah and, and other places. But that was the king when, Babylon, when the, the Babylonians came and uh, kind of fell down hard on, uh, on Jerusalem and the, and the children of Israel and took them captive and, and overthrew Jerusalem. Um, and so his descendants then left, well, Amulek, one son, and they, they get to the promised land as well. They're kind of living separate for several hundred years until Mosiah then discovers them in the land of Zarahemla, teaches them the language, finds out where they came from, and they say, yeah, we're from, uh, the, from Mulek, who was the son of Zedekiah, who, and Mulek left when Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, oh, what? It was true? So uh, the words of the Lord are always fulfilled. Um, and sometimes he can tell us that they are fulfilled, and we can say, well, how do we know that? And sometimes we have to we trust the Lord. But uh, verification will always, will always happen. And in this case, it took 400 years, but Jerusalem was destroyed. And we have this kind of hindsight where we live in 2020, and we can read it, the, the rest of the Bible, and we can read historical documents and know that the Babylonian captivity was a real thing that happened. But Lehi and Nephi and Sariah and Sam and all their family, they're, they're separated by thousands of miles with no way to communicate other than the great communicator, the Lord. And so I wanted to take just a minute and talk about that as just a kind of a foundation because it, that kind of wraps up the entire first section of Nephi and concludes their journey really. As why did they leave? Well, he was told that they were they needed to leave for their safety, and then in Second Nephi chapter one, he's the Lord tells him, "All right, you're here in the Promised Land now, and I can tell you, Jerusalem's been destroyed." So, and so Lehi tells his sons, "Hey, look, we we were saved by the Lord." Now he begins to then teach his sons and his family about the Promised Land, and in verse seven it says, "Wherefore this land is consecrated unto him whom he, the Lord, shall bring." And if it so be that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he hath given, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. So he tells us that it's going to be a land of liberty. Uh, Elder Eduardo Ayala of the 70 taught that uh, the conditions of people and nations change due to progress in the world. Nevertheless, in many such places, be it in the frosty mountain heights or in the warm valleys at the river's edges or in the desert places, wherever members of the church are found, there will always be in those, uh, always be those who live these basic principles, and by so doing, they bless the rest of the people. Uh, wherever the gospel is, there's going to be a, a, a spirit of, of liberty, um, and the Lord makes this covenant. Here's another covenant, and that the Book of Mormon makes plain and reveals to us. Another, it's a remember. It's one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is to show us the covenants that the Lord has made. He says, if, the, if we serve him according to the commandments he gives, uh, it shall be a land of liberty. And in verse 9 he says, Wherefore I, Lehi, have obtained a promise, that inasmuch as that those whom the Lord shall bring out of the land of Jerusalem shall keep his commandments, they shall prosper upon the face of this land. So if, by keeping the commandments, we prosper. We're going to get into what prosperity and prospering means later. Um, but here's a covenant of the Lord. I mentioned that where where the where the gospel is and where the spirit is, there's uh, the spirit of liberty. Second uh, Nephi, or excuse me, not Second Nephi. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seventeen says, "Now the Lord is that this, is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." Uh, and so, 
the Lord makes this promise that wherever he is, there will be this, this spirit of liberty and wherever we, his, his spirit is. And connect that, if we connect that with the promises that the Lord made to, to Nephi, that inasmuch as he would keep his commandments, he would not be cut off from his presence. And by having the presence of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, there will be also this spirit of liberty and freedom. And that's what uh, Elder Ayala was talking about when he said, uh, there will always be those who live these basic principles, and by so doing, they bless the rest of the people because they bring that spirit of liberty with them by keeping their their big uh, keeping their covenants, um, and just so as a reminder, um, because we're going to talk about covenants a few times throughout uh, today's discussion and in this week, uh, the title page of the Book of Mormon that they may know the covenants of the Lord that they are not cast off forever, um, and you know these covenants again as First Nephi chapter thirteen taught us and several other places that. Plain and precious things were lost, and many of them were the, the covenants of the Lord. And some covenants are uh, maybe a little more obvious to see, and others are like this, where he's, he's saying, if this, then this. If you keep my commandments, then I shall do this. Those, those are, that's the way that the Lord works, and that's, that's covenant-type language. Uh, if you, man, keep this promise and keep this uh, commandment, then I, the Lord, shall do this, and that is that's what the way, that's the way a covenant works. So Second Nephi chapter one is actually one of my I I I'm gonna get I'm like the boy who cried wolf I guess it's one of my favorite chapters because I and I say this about all every week basically, but um, actually my favorite probably if I had to pick one favorite verse, it's actually in in this chapter and we're getting close to it right now but. I love the way, I love Lehi's passion, the words that he uses, and you can feel his love for his sons, pleading with them, imploring them to, to follow the Savior. And, I mean, you, what we have here is Nephi writing down the words of his father, and then Joseph Smith uh, translating them. And we're thousands of years later, and you can feel the love of this parent. And I just, it, it really just reaches me in a special way, I guess. Um, verse 13, Lehi says to his sons, Oh, that you would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. And in verse 14, he, he uses that, that same type of language, awake and arise. Um, in Second Nephi, I want to talk about the chains of hell for for a minute here, and the chains that uh, Lehi is imploring his sons to shake off. So, this it's an interesting thing that I I didn't really connect until this week's study, as we get to chapter uh, four in Nephi's Psalm. Um, you we get to see kind of another. Comparison, uh, another way in which Nephi differed from his brothers Laman and Lemuel. Um, and it, it really is a continuation of a lot of other things that we've talked about in, in previous chapters and the Nephi's, that we've learned from Nephi. But uh, we'll, we'll circle back around to that when we get to chapter 4. But Lehi here is imploring his sons to shake off these chains. And what, what are the chains? What, did, what were Laman and Lemuel specifically uh, doing or not doing that would that would be likened to chains. So Second Nephi chapter twenty six says, um, nevertheless they put down the power and miracles of God. Yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord. He being Satan, until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. So that's verses twenty and twenty two. You know, kind of smashed together a little bit, but uh, Nephi in this case, in chapter 26, teaches us that what, what, the, what people do is they put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning. And then he says, Yea, Satan leadeth them by the neck. This is one way that Satan leads them by the neck with a flaxen cord, a, a weak, small cord, until he binds them with his strong cords forever, his chains and I think that we can clearly see that's what Laman and Lemuel did. They were constantly 
forgetting the power of the Lord and the miracles of God that they had seen and saying, you know, it was Nephi, it's just Nephi. Nephi is such a mean, it's such a meanie to us. He always says hard, mean things to us that make us feel bad inside, you know, but they're forgetting that they had seen an angel. They're forgetting that the power by which they had built a ship and uh, the way that the Lord had delivered them with the Liahona and guiding Nephi to find, uh, find food in the wilderness. They're forgetting all of these miracles and the, the way that they had obtained the brass plates. And so these, I think, really are, relates closely to the types of chains that uh, Lehi was telling them to, to shake off. Later uh, in 2 Nephi, chapter 28, Nephi comes back and circles back to this idea of chains and he says, and behold, others he, Satan, flattereth away and telleth them there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I have no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. And then we can see again, this is exactly what Laman and Lemuel did all the time. Ah, uh, man, our, our dad is always saying that he's seen an angel in Nephi, in Nephi too, and we know they haven't. And we know that the people in Jerusalem were, uh, were righteous people. And if we would have stayed there, we would have had all of our things and we'd be fine. That's the way Satan worked, is he tries to tell them all is well. Everything back in Jerusalem is fine. Like, what are you guys even doing here? Everything's great. And he flatters them until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. And, and Lehi, as a father, could see this happening, could see the chains reaching up and starting to wrap around them. And he's saying, stand up, awake, shake off those chains. And in verse 15, um, which is actually, this is my favorite verse in the Book of Mormon. Lehi says, But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. So there's been many reasons I love this, this verse. Um, he beautifully, just the, the, the visual of the arms of God's love uh, encircling me, really, that's something special to me. But also thinking about what Lehi has been through in his life and knowing and him having the faith and the, uh, the testimony to say the Lord has redeemed him and that he has beheld his glory. And I think you think of the, if you think of the trials and, and things that the Lord has um, kind of put them through and the, the chastening and the refining process that Lehi and his family have gone through, um, you see that I think you can make the connection that those those trials are why Lehi has been redeemed and why he knows he's been redeemed and why he has felt the arms of love and why he has beheld the glory of the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the, that's the promise that Lehi and Nephi, that they could hold on to. That Laman and Lemuel, they were never really holding on to that promise, that they were suffering and and things were hard, but they, the glory that was going to be revealed because of that refining is not even, it, would, it makes the, the trials and the hardships pale in comparison. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 9, similar teaching. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. In Romans chapter 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Tribulations lead to these, these experiences. They lead to patience and hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, and hope gives us the love of God, shows us the love of God, which then, shed, as he says, sheds abroad in our hearts. Um, and that's the glory that, that Lehi had seen, and it's because of, not despite or in spite of, or, but because of those trials that, that Lehi beheld the glory of the Lord. In verse 21, Lehi says, And uh, now that my soul might have joy in you, and that my heart might leave this world with gladness because of you, that I might not be brought down with grief and sorrow to the grave. Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men, and be determined in one mind and in one heart. 
united in all things, that you may not come down into captivity. And so he teaches them, be one. And you think uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 4, the purpose of the church, the organization of the church, till we all come in the unity of the faith. It's the purpose of, of, of the church and of the, a lot of the purpose of the gospel is for us to become unified, to become one with each other and one with Christ. And I mean, we think of the uh, great intercessory prayer uh, that Christ gives. He says that they may be one as, as you, Father, and I are one. It's, it's what the atonement at one meant is about. It's not only just, it's us becoming one with each other and unified, and then becoming unified, and not then, but also becoming unified with the Lord. Uh, in verse 22, he mentions um, eternal destruction. And uh, Joseph Fielding Smith taught something that's important to note about eternal destruction. He said, destruction does not mean annihilation. We know, we are, we know because we are taught in the revelations of the Lord that a soul cannot be destroyed. Every soul born into this world shall receive resurrection and immortality. And shall endure forever. Destruction does not mean then annihilation. When the Lord says that we shall be destroyed, he means that they shall be banished from his presence. And they shall be cut off from the presence of light and truth and shall not have the privilege of gaining this exaltation. And that is destruction. Uh, Section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants teaches us kind of about what this eternal or endless uh, destruction is. Uh, The Lord says, For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great is it, For behold, I am endless, and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment. For endless is my name. Wherefore, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. And so, uh, we think of eternal as uh, being never-ending or endless. But what he says in in section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants is that his name is endless. And if you check out verse 10 in, in section 19, you'll see that the word endless is capitalized as though it is a, a proper noun, a name. Um, and so his punishment is, is, uh, is what eternal punishment really means. So chapter 1 uh, starts to wind down, and, and Lehi implores his sons to lay, off his, to lay off Nephi, basically. Like, hey, you guys have always... Blaming Nephi for your problems, you're always saying that he's so mean to you, but all he's ever talked to you about is the truth. And uh, he says, You've murmured because he hath been plain unto you. You say that he hath used sharpness, yea, you say that he hath been angry with you. But behold, his sharpness was the sharpness of the power of the word of God. And remember that chapter 16, Nephi said to, the, to his brothers, Look, you guys are taking this hard and because the Wicked take the truth to be hard, for it cutteth them to the very center. And um, in Helaman 3, we learn that the, the sword, uh, or the word of the Lord, is quick and powerful and it divide, can divide asunder. Uh, in Ephesians 6, we learn that in the armor of God, the sword is the sword of the Spirit. It cuts, it penetrates. And, and that's, that's the, the penetration and why Laman and Lemuel were taking it so hard is that it was, it, it's not pleasant to be corrected, but when you take correction with the right uh, attitude and with the right spirit and with humility, it, it, that, that pain, that spur, uh, spurs us, drives us to be better, drives us to our knees to be more humble and to turn to the Lord. Um, but if we're not humble, what it does is it, it's just an irritation that, that makes you mad. So as we move into chapter 2, uh, Lehi gives some of the greatest uh, insight and uh, knowledge and information that we have about Adam and Eve, really, um, outside of the temple and, um, and re- probably just the things that we learn from Lehi are, are, are marvelous. Are, are, I would say are plain and precious. And if you want to talk about the purpose of the Book of Mormon, I think chapter 2 here is a, is a great uh, restoration of, of truth. Um, we learn that, you know, it wasn't a bad thing what um, Adam and Eve did. In fact, it was necessary and required and brought about eternal salvation and brought about uh, the ability for the atonement and for happiness. Um, and so uh, chapter 2, 
um, starts with Lehi addressing again. We have this as a great discourse about Adam and Eve that's like, oh, this is so amazing, which it is, and it is. But just like when we go back to chapter 8 in 1 Nephi, and we have the, the tree of life that we can look, look at and say, this is an amazing vision, and it is. But in both cases, it's Lehi talking to his sons, a father, a loving father, teaching plain and precious truths to his sons. And he starts the, and, and says to, to uh, uh, Jacob, you've had a lot of afflictions in your short life, and it's, a lot of it's because of your brothers. And, but he says, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he, the Lord, shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. Again, I want to just go back to Romans chapter 5, that tribulations teach us patience, and patience, experience, and experience gives us the hope that the Lord fulfills His promises to us. And as we um, have trials and troubles, and especially if they're not because of us, and just like Lee has said, a lot of Jacob's problems were because Laman and Lemuel, and... Um, but Richard G. Scott taught us that when we have trials and troubles and, and our bow breaks not because of anything that we've done wrong, it's a sign that the Lord trusts us and wants us to grow and that he will consecrate those afflictions for our gain. And Lehi says, uh, he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain, wherefore thy soul shall be blessed. And he's telling Jacob about future, that the Lord is going to, and has, I'm sure, but he's going, he will be blessing you because of your afflictions, Jacob. Uh, President Oaks uh, said, when we give thanks in all things, we see hardships and adversities in the context of the purpose of life. We are sent here to be tested. There must be opposition in all things. We are meant to learn and grow through that opposition, through meeting our challenges and through teaching others to do the same thing. So as we compare, if we take what President Oaks said, and you kind of throw that into what Lehi is ta- talking to his young son about, hey, you've had lots of hardship, that you've had lots of opposition, it leads naturally into what he's then going to teach uh, Jacob, why there's opposition in the fall of Adam. Um, but as, as I'm on this point, I, wanna, I thought of a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, it comes from his book, The Great Divorce. And uh, actually in a recent conference, Elder uh, Renland quoted this, but uh, the power of the atonement is such that that's, a, it does, that's exactly what it does, is it consecrates our afflictions for our gain. And it works backwards through time. And, and so here's, the, here's what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn every, uh, even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have this and I'll take the, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the quote there. <laughs> um, but what he's saying is it works back through time and every agony is, is made holy and it is consecrated for our gain. Um, he goes on as we continue through the chapter, verse 4, he says to Jacob, Thou hast beheld in thy youth his, the Lord's glory, wherefore thou art blessed even as they unto whom he shall minister. He says you're not going to see him in, and he's not going to minister to you in, in mortality and in the flesh but you have seen his glory and you're as blessed as those whom he will do that to. And the way that the Lord works is even in our youth, even in death, there's, no, there's no age restriction. Um, Mormon chapter uh, 1 verse, I think, 15 says that, uh, or Mormon says that he was 15 and nevertheless that he beheld the glory of, of the Lord in his youth, uh, something along those lines. And there's no age restriction to beholding the glory of the Lord. Uh, those who diligently seek him will find, regardless of age. And that works in, in the reverse situation as well. No matter how old you are, if you seek the Lord, you will find him and, and he will show you his glory. So in verse 5, Lehi teaches Jacob that, uh, and the law is given unto men, and by the law no flesh is justified. So he's saying, look, there is the law of Moses, there is the gospel, there are commandments, but those don't justify us. We, by keeping those commandments and covenants and all the, everything that we do, that doesn't, that doesn't justify us. That doesn't save us, is what he's saying. Um, and in fact, in verse 10, he says that on one end of, let's say, a, a rope, 
Okay, if, if you take one end of a rope and you follow it all the way to the other end, and if, if the end that you picked up and grabbed is the law, uh, you may expect to find salvation at the other end. No, instead, he says, uh, Wherefore, the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed, which punishment that is affixed in opposition, is in opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed to the answer of the ends of the atonement. So the, what's affixed on the other end? What's the end of the law? It's, it's punishment because we can't possibly keep it. We're going to make mistakes and so then justice then must prevail. But he says uh, there's another, there's another uh, parallel path here and that is uh, at one end, happiness. Well, how do you get the happiness? You go to the other end and it's the atonement. Um, and so he teaches Jacob and teaches us that uh, by, by the law is no flesh justified. So what we need is, and as he continues, wherefore redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the holy Messiah, not of anyone else, not of the law, not of our own work and hustle and stick to and, and trying hard. No, it's because of Jesus Christ, and it is only because of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And it's because of his atonement that at the other end is happiness. Keeping the commandments is important, and it's how we show that we are willing to come unto him. But it is not what saves us. Uh, Bruce C. Hafen of the Quorum of the Seventy said, I once wondered at those who refuse to repent, but who then satisfy the law of justice by paying for their own sins, are then worthy to enter the celestial kingdom. The answer is no. The entrance requirements for, the celestial, life, or for celestial life are simply higher than merely satisfying the law of justice. For that reason, paying for our sins will not bear the same fruit as repenting for our sins. But if we decline the Savior's invitation to let him carry our sins and then satisfy justice by ourselves, we will not yet have experienced the complete rehabilitation that can occur only through a combination of divine assistance and genuine repentance. It is in and through the merits of the Holy Messiah, His mercy and His grace. Uh, there's a reason that we take upon us His name, because there's only one name by which we can be saved. And it's not Jarrett Webster. It's not any other name except Jesus Christ, the Holy Messiah. And so that the reason he gives us his name and why we're, we covenant to be willing to take upon us his name is because it's only through that name that we can be saved and, and receive salvation. Um, something that Elder Hafen stood out to me in, in saying that what happens as we, as we do our part in terms of uh, making the effort to keep our covenants but then rely on the Lord, that combination uh, is how the Lord gives us a new heart and he changes us and he gives us his heart. Uh, but a, a spiritual heart uh, doesn't want to live inside uh, a temporal, physical man, uh, the natural man. Uh, Elder Renlund gave a talk a while back about um, heart transplants. He, he's a cardiologist. So it's kind of interesting because we have President Nelson who was a heart surgeon, and then you have Elder Renlund, who was a cardiologist, and he took care of people, people's hearts, and after they had surgery. And uh, a major part of uh, post-heart uh, transplant care is taking medication, uh, because your body will recognize the heart as a foreign object, basically, and will reject it. Uh, but you have to take, so you have to take medication that will... Uh, daily that keeps that from happening so that the heart transplant isn't rejected. And actually one of the leading causes for uh, people having to have a second uh, heart transplant is because they just didn't take their daily medication. And so what we need to do is we offer our repentance and we do the, the little tiny minuscule uh, part that the Lord asks for us and he gives us a new heart and then what he asks us to do is take our daily medicine Look unto him in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Pray, study the scriptures, keep our covenants, partake of the sacrament, 
as we do those things daily and weekly, uh, our heart, the new heart that he's given us, will, will take, and it won't, our natural man won't reject it. And in fact, it will begin to then overtake and overcome our natural man. And so in uh, verse 11, 2 Nephi 2, um, Nephi teaches us that there's opposition in, in all things. Um, and President Benson uh, said something about that. He said, the Book of Mormon teaches that it must needs be that there is opposition in all things. And so there is. Opposition provides choices, and choices bring consequences, good or bad. And I like that he said good or bad because uh, oftentimes we think of consequences as this negative thing, but because there's opposition, that gives us the ability to choose. And if we choose Christ, then we get the consequences of choosing Christ. Um, obviously, there are the negative consequences for not choosing Christ, but because there is this opposition and the choice that we have to choose, um, as Lehi says later in the chapter, liberty between liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death, because we have that choice. If we choose, if we choose the right, and if we choose Christ, we get we get the consequences of that. We get to have His Spirit with us and and prosper. And again, we'll get into prospering here in a bit. Um, but uh, President Benson continued and said, God loves us, the devil hates us. God wants us to have fullness of joy as he has. The devil wants us to be miserable as he has, to be as miserable as he is. God gives us commandments to bless us. The, the devil would have us break these commandments to curse us. And Lehi touches on that point by saying um, that Satan fell and became miserable forever, and he sought also the misery of all mankind. And he is the father of all lies. And that's what we need to remember. On one hand, we have someone who is our advocate with the father, who is pleading our cause, who loves us unconditionally and eternally, who wants our everlasting happiness. And on the other hand, we have a guy who wants our misery, who wants to destroy us as he's been destroyed, who wants us to destroy ourselves as he destroyed himself, and who wants to do nothing but lie to us. And it's like, when you put it that way, it's like, wow, that seems like a really easy choice. But that is honestly what Lehi is trying to do here in this chapter, is lay this out. And that's why he, he ends and the kind of, as he winds this, this discourse down to Jacob, he kind of makes it that clear in verse 27, where he says, look, you can choose liberty and eternal life, or you can choose captivity and eternal death. Which one do you take? And it's like, uh, man, that's, that's a real head scratcher. <laughs> it's not, and it's that obvious, but... Obviously, the mists of darkness that arise in our life can sometimes cloud that, but at the end of the day, when you boil it down, that's the choice that we have. I want to touch on something just uh, briefly about uh, Satan being a fallen angel, uh, as we know about the war in heaven and, and our relation to the Father and to Christ and to Lucifer. Um, I want to touch on something that C.S. Lewis uh, taught about uh, Lucifer being a fallen angel, Satan being a fallen angel. And as we know, uh, our relation to Christ and to the Father and, and also to Lucifer, um, it's interesting to take C.S. Lewis's perspective here. He says, you can be good for the mere sake of goodness. You cannot be bad for the mere sake of badness. You can, you can do a kind action when you're not feeling kind and when it gives you no pleasure simply because kindness is right. But no one ever did a cruel action simply because cruelty is wrong only because cruelty is pleasant or useful to him. In other words, badness cannot succeed even in being bad in the same way in which goodness is good. Goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. And we learn that Satan was an angel. And so we have this, there's this truth. Truth is goodness. Goodness is truth. And then Satan's trying to... to get you with uh, these, these falsehoods that aren't, that aren't even real. They, they're just spoiled goodness. So Lehi teaches us something important about the forbidden fruit and what was forbidden. And if we take what Lehi teaches uh, and combine it with what we can learn by comparing and contrasting Genesis 2 with Moses 3 and their accounts of Adam and Eve, um, in verse 15 in 2 Nephi 2, he says, uh, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even in the, even the forbidden fruit, in opposition to the tree of life. So he's saying there had to be an opposition introduced. Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge 
of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now Moses 3, verse 17, very similar, but there's a major difference. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. But remember that I forbid it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The Lord clearly said, you have a choice. Here there is a choice, and it must needs be that there is an opposition. And so there was a choice to be made. And in verse 21, we're taught there, there was a transgression. Elder Oaks, at the time, was Elder Oaks, but now President Oaks, said, The contrast between a sin and a transgression reminds us of the careful word in the second article of faith. We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. It echoes a familiar distinction in the law. Some acts like murder are crimes because they are inherently wrong. Other acts, like operating without license, are crimes only because they are legally prohibited. Under these distinctions, the act that produced the fall was not a sin inherently wrong, but a transgression, wrong because it was formally prohibited. These words are not always used to denote something different, but this distinction seems meaningful in the circumstances of the fall. Therefore, the Lord did not set up Adam and Eve to fail and to be sinned, and to sin, as there was no other way unless they sinned. He gave them a choice. They made a choice. They lived with that choice. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they did die. The, law, the ends of the law were met. He said, if you eat it, you will die. They did. But the Lord had prepared a plan whereby men could uh, repent. He says in, in verse 21, the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God that they might repent. That, that, uh, wherefore their state became a state of probation. That's what this life is, is for us. It's a state of probation where we can repent. It's the purpose of life. The purpose of our life is to change our will, to change our natures. Well, rephrase, to allow the Lord to change our wills and to allow the Lord to change our natures by coming unto him in humility. That's what this life is about, is about repentance. It's a probationary period for us to, to come unto him. Um... And if you take that and you combine it with verse 25, that Adam fell, that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. Well, what is that joy? The joy comes from repentance. Think back to, to Lehi and his dream as he partakes of the fruit, which fruit represents uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ. It brought his soul joy. Our purpose here is to partake of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of life. And repentance is a major factor in that process. And when you are get down and you think uh, life is, is hard and the Lord is putting you through the ringer, remember verse 24 of 2 Nephi chapter 2. Behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Things happen for a reason. And oftentimes that reason is so that, we flip back to chapter or verse 2, so that the Lord can consecrate your affliction for your gain. And it may be hard, but it, all things are done in his wisdom. So as we wrap up, just I want to wrap up chapter 2 so we can get to um, chapters 3, 4, and 5. So uh, Elder McConkie said about the fall, the most important events that have ever or ever will occur in all eternity are the creation, the fall, and the atonement. And that's one of the things we learned from, from uh, Lehi is the importance of the fall as it pertains to our salvation um, and bringing about life and, and man, which then brought about the Savior and his atonement. As we move on to chapter 3, Lehi begins to address his son, Joseph, and he, it seems uh, pretty clear that he's named after Joseph of, of Egypt and that that was meaningful to, uh, to Lehi. Remember that Joseph and Jacob were both born in the wilderness after they left uh, Jerusalem and after they received the, got the brass plates. And they learned in the brass plates that, he, that they were descendants of Joseph. And so here, here's some genealogy, and Lehi's pumped up about it, and he's like, I'm going to name one of my sons Joseph, because Joseph of Egypt was so awesome, and I'm related to him. So just a little uh, awesome note about genealogy and, and, and family history right there. Uh, he teaches his son Joseph some of the prophecies of Joseph of Egypt, and there are some pretty clear, powerful uh, prophecies that we only have because of the Book of Mormon. Again, plain and precious truths that were brought, that are restored through the Book of Mormon. Um, so, verse 1, 2, 3, 
So in verses 4 and 5, Lehi says, um, Great were the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph. Wherefore Joseph truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord, that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. Not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off, nevertheless to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord. So he's, again, likening the, the promises of the Lord to them specifically who have been broken off and who are in the promised land. He says there's not going to be the Messiah from our, from our branch. Christ came from, from Judah, but there is going to be great and marvelous things. The Lord, and the Lord has made a covenant to, to Joseph uh, of Egypt that applies to us and our family. So then Lehi goes into what these covenants and promises that have been made are. In verse 7, he says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly, highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins. His brethren, uh, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made, unto, made with the fathers. So the, the posterity of Lehi and of Joseph of Egypt that is Lehi's posterity would be taught the truth and would be uh, brought to a knowledge of the covenants. So again, again, here's the purpose of the Book of Mormon is bringing this to pass. Uh, Elder Iron was in South America and he uh, was then Elder Iron, now President Iron, um, and he was shaking the hands of, of these missionaries who were uh, native to whatever country he was in. And as he's shaking their hands, um, he, he said, in the eyes and faces of those missionaries, I felt confirmation that God has kept his promise to reach out to Lehi's covenant children that he will reach, and that he will reach out to ours. The Lord has fulfilled and will, continues to fulfill his promise to uh, reach out to Lehi's posterity. This is, it's also seen in the Book of Mormon. You see that Ammon and his brothers go to the Lamanites and entire, entire cities are baptized and brought to the truth. The same thing happens in, in the book of Helaman and uh, in 3 Nephi that uh, constantly the Lord was, was reaching out and restoring the covenants, the knowledge of the covenants to the, the posterity of Lehi. And just as he's done that for him, he will do that for us and he will keep the covenants that he's made with us. And it's a great purpose of the Book of Mormon is to bring us this hope that he's done it in the past for others and he will do it for us. In verse 12, he says, Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. So he's talking still to Joseph. So you get, um, he's saying, Your, your um, posterity will write, and Judah's will write, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, shall grow together, under the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of the loins of thy loins and bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to the knowledge of my covenant, saith the Lord. You guys hearing that purpose of the Book of Mormon in there? The Book of Mormon would grow together with, with the Bible and they would testify of each other and together they would, lay, they would confound false doctrines and they would bring about uh, the knowledge of the covenants and bring back hope to the children of Israel. To the, to the covenant people. And we literally have that. I mean, I, and maybe I'm taking this a little too literally here, but you go and you buy uh, from Deseret Book or a distribution center, or you buy a quadruple combination, whatever, however you call them, and it has the Book of Mormon, it has the Bible, and it has the Doctrine and Covenants, and they are, they've grown together. Literally, we can carry them in one book now. And we, through them, we uh, learn about Christ and his covenants to us. Verse 15 is a really cool verse. Uh, Joseph of Egypt says, uh, he prophesies that about Joseph Smith and says that he's going to have the same name as him. His name would be Joseph and that it would be the same name as his father, hey, Joseph Smith Sr. Um, that's a really cool, obviously, like, I mean, there's some really awesome uh, revelations here that Joseph had that we only have because of the Book of Mormon. Um, and in verse uh, 16, even, he says, I am sure of this thing, even as I am sure of the promise of Moses. Joseph predates Moses. You've got to remember that Moses delivered the children, out of, children of Israel out of Egypt because they'd come to Egypt when Joseph was doing his thing 
with planning for the the famine and whatnot. So they went to Egypt, then become in bondage by the Egyptians, and then Moses is raised up and leads them out. Joseph saw that happen and knew that the guy's name would be Moses. Like, guys, this is really cool stuff. He, he sees Joseph Smith. He sees Moses, knows their name. He sees Christ, and, and he sees the Messiah, well, who is Christ. And, but, like, there, that's, that's some pretty awesome, powerful revelations. So in verse 18, he, he talks about Joseph Smith and, 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 book, and the Book of Mormon and how uh, there's someone who writes it and there's a, a spokesman. And he likens that to Moses having a spokesman, which is another, hey, he saw that Moses wouldn't be a great speaker and he would need his brother Aaron to be a spokesman. So he's, in, seven, in verse 17, he mentions that, and then he likens that to how the Book of Mormon is. And Elder McConkie t- teaches us that, uh, in verse 18, says, and I, behold, and I, behold, I will give unto him, Mormon, that he shall write the writing of the fruit of thy loins, the Nephites, under the fruit of thy loins, the Lamanites, and the spokesman of thy loins, Joseph Smith, shall declare it. Uh, so Elder McConkie explains, that is, Mormon wrote the Book of Mormon, but what he wrote was taken from the writings of the Nephite prophets, and these writings compiled into one book were translated by Joseph Smith and sent forth by him and will be sent and have been sent unto the Lamanites. So that's what verse 18 uh, is about. You get him, Joseph of Egypt, now prophesying about Mormon. Like, and, and the Nephites, like the whole Nephite civilization, is, is, he's having this prophecy about. And so Joseph uh, of Lehi's, Lehi's son is taught this by his father. I mean, how cool would that be that you're, you're named after this guy and then your dad teaches you how great his prophecies and revelations are. And that's, talk about anchoring him to his, his family history. So chapter four, uh, Lehi then blesses his, his uh, posterity and his, his grandkids. And um, in, in verse seven, you see him giving a blessing uh, to them that, Wherefore he will be merciful unto you and unto your seed forever. To the, this is to uh, Laman and Lemuel's children get this same blessing. And go flashback to what the promise in chapter 3 and the, the revelation that he, he'd become aware of through the brass plates of Joseph of Egypt. He could give them those blessings because he had faith and a knowledge and, uh, of, the, of the revelations that had already been given and the promises that had already been given to Joseph. And now those promises have been given to him that his posterity and his seed, Laman and Lemuel's children, would not be cast off and forgotten. So in this chapter as well, we get uh, Lehi dies and immediately Laman and Lemuel not very happy. And uh, the end of chapter four is what is known as Nephi's psalm. It's a, it's a specific type of, uh, of poetry type of writing. And a psalm is meant to be read out loud. So I invite you to read uh, verses 15 through the end of 2 Nephi chapter 4 uh, out loud, if you can. Um, and it, it brings a little bit more, uh, I think, the spirit of what, of what Nephi was feeling as he wrote it and his, his emotions. Um, so, verses 17 and 18, Nephi, who, is, who we know to be a great man, says, Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about by, because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. It's okay and normal to, to feel a little down and to feel godly sorrow. It's, that's a good thing even. And even when, even when you're a great person like Nephi was, uh, there are times of feeling like this. But what's important and what separated him from from his brothers, is uh, verses 19 and 20. He doubtless had these questions and these doubts and, and felt down at times. We know that because he tells us right here in this, in this chapter, but um, he, he, doubt, he did not doubt and he did not fear. And in verse 19 uh, and 20, he says, And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted, my God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions of the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. What did Nephi do? He remembered the great things the Lord had done for him. Remembering is key. I posit, I would like to posit, one, of, is one important aspect of remembering is writing down the revelations that the Lord gives us. 
writing down the experiences we have, keeping a journal, even if it's a, a small a small thing and it's once a week or something, but keeping something that's something that separated the Nephites from the Lamanites as we, uh, and, and the Nephites and the Mulekites, the Lamanites weren't keeping records and, and in Mosiah they have to be taught their language and they have to be, the Nephites are the, uh, essentially what are Nephites, teach, have to teach them how to write and keep the records and um, the Mulekites didn't have a record and weren't keeping a record and uh, one important aspect of, of, the, of the people who are following the Lord because it, it switches from time to time when the Lamanites are righteous it's actually them that are keeping the record uh, and so this, this theme of remembering is closely associated with keeping a record and that's what here's Nephi's record that we have that he was writing he was writing two of them in fact and I think that probably greatly contributed to his ability to remember what the Lord had done for him and so that he could say, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. Whereas, as, we, as I discussed earlier, Nephi, or Laman and Lemuel, they were disregarding the power of the Lord and the miracles that had been wrought in their life. And that's what shackled them with these chains. But Nephi was able to break those chains because he remembered. And in fact, he has this, he has this powerful, powerful self-talk where he, uh, he remembers what his father had taught him and as he's talking to himself and, and, and to the Lord and praying in this psalm, he uses those same type of words that Lehi used back in chapter 1. In verse 28, he says, Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my, o my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. That's exactly what Lehi was imploring his sons to do. I don't think he was necessarily talking to Nephi at the time, but guess who was listening? Nephi. And he took that, and that's the kind of language that he used in it. For himself, all right. I've got to shake off these chains. I've got to awake and rise up, and and be man, and rejoice, and don't fall into the into this trap that Satan wants me to fall into. I got to remember the Lord's promises and shake off these chains. But it, and like I, said, I do want to mention it, that you know again, Nephi still had the. It's still okay to feel down at times. But what pulls us out of that is turning to the Lord and remembering the Lord and having that hope and faith in him. Um, C.S. Lewis talked about why good men, and I first I'll read actually uh, something that Joseph Smith taught. The nearer man approaches perfection, the clearer are his views and the greater his enjoyments till he overcomes the evils of his life and lost uh, every desire for sin. So that's where Nephi was, right? That's why he felt this. It's because he, he recognized, he seen the glory, and he knew how far short he was. And so he could he'd take one of two paths at that point. You get fall into despair and think, ah, woe is me, done. Or you, you recognize that and say, no, I, the Lord can redeem me because I've seen his glory. His glory and his power and his might are sufficient. And uh, C.S. Lewis said something very similar. He said, one last point. Remember that, as I said, the right direction leads not only to the peace, but to knowledge. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he is all right. This is common sense. Really, you understand sleep when you're awake and not when you're sleeping. You can see mistakes in arithmetic when your mind is working properly. When you're making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you're sober not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Nephi was a good man, and he recognized his shortcomings, but then he recognized, uh, verse 30, oh my heart, uh, Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, and my God, my God and the rock of my salvation he recognized his shortcoming, but he recognized who the rock of his salvation was and is. Beautiful, beautiful verse, verses in, in chapter 4. Chapter 5, uh, the Nephites, they uh, become Nephites and Lamanites now. Nephi separates, realizes, hey, is, is warned, and hey, you got to leave. Your brothers are going to try to kill you. So he takes uh, who, he's gonna, who will come with him, and uh, he... Uh, this is the only mention, actually, that I can think of in verse six of, of Nephi, uh, of excuse me, of Nephi having sisters. 
And so they, a bunch of them leave. And it's important to know that they uh, are doing exactly what the Lord had to, has always taught us to do and has taught his people to do, separate from wickedness. Uh, in First Nephi chapter 20, Nephi quotes Isaiah saying, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye of the Chaldeans. He says, that means, remove yourself from wickedness, separate from wickedness. And that's what we need to do in our life. It may not be that we physically move to the land of Nephi and get away from the Lamanites, but what kind of uh, entertainment are we indulging in? Uh, what are we allowing to come into our home through, through media, through social media, through our phones and our, our TVs? And, uh, our, or uh, are, we, are we allowing Satan to enter in that way? Or are we setting a hard line and separating ourselves and f- going forth from, of Babylon? Something funny too to note is uh, verse 3, you get the same thing where Lehi, or the Laman and Lemuel just blame Nephi for everything. Our younger brother thinks to rule over us, and we have had much trial because of him. Because of him? What? Guys. Oh, man, they tied him up. That's why the Lehona stopped working on the ship. Uh, they had, didn't take care of their bows and had already broken their bows. That's why when his bow broke, it was such a catastrophe. Uh, every... All along the way, their wickedness is what damned up their progression. And here they are with the audacity to blame Nephi, who had done nothing but try to get them to choose uh, eternal life and liberty through the great mediator. All right, as I, I want to wrap up here with a, just to talk about um, verse 27, that they lived after the manner of happiness. The Nephites lived after the manner of happiness. Well, what can we learn about the manner of happiness? Well, uh, first of all, Prophet Joseph Smith taught us happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. What's the path that leads to it? Well, go back to 2 Nephi chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Uh, the happiness which is affixed to answer the ends of the atonement. The ends of the atonement is happiness. So the atonement is what leads us to happiness. It's that fruit again. You take of the fruit. It's repentance. Uh, Elder uh, Len G. Robin, Robbins said, repentance isn't his backup plan in the event we might fail. Repentance is his plan, knowing that we will. So, repentance and the gospel is what leads us to the atonement, which leads us to happiness. Um, we can also learn a lot from what were the Nephites doing that led them to, the, to happiness and comparing that to what the Lamanites were doing. Well, verse 16, they built a temple. Well, temple worship leads to happiness. Uh, they were industrious and they, um, in verse 17, caused them, his people to be industrious and to labor with their hands. Um, they had the records, the brass plates in verse 12 that mentions them having the brass plates. And they multiplied and had families. Uh, these are all things that lead, led to them living after the manner of happiness. If you compare that to uh, Alma chapter 22, that the, the Lamanites were a lazy, and, lazy people. Even in, in chapter 5, it mentions that the, because of the curse that the Lamanites had, which was that they were separated from the Spirit of the Lord because of their wickedness, uh, they became an idle people and were full of mischief and wickedness, and wickedness is not happiness. And so what we see is we see that uh, chapter 5 teaches us these small little truths that lead us to what living after the manner of happiness is. In the end, it is the atonement and repentance, but what leads us there? It's having families, it's the scriptures, it's going to the, it's worshiping at the temple, it's, it's working, work is a part of it. Um, it's allowing the Lord to, saw, to give us a new heart and keep it. In verse 21, it says that the Lamanites had hardened their hearts against him that they had become like unto flint. They didn't keep that heart. Uh, flint, hard, it's hard heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit will I put it within you. And I will take away the stony heart of, out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of fl- flesh. They still had that stony heart. Now the Lamanites' problem, and that stony heart can't have happiness. Um, now, I do want to mention that they, are, they prospered. It's promised. That's one of the, Second Nephi chapter 1 mentions this promise of uh, keeping the commandments and that they would prosper. If, you, if they didn't, didn't, they'd be cut off from the presence of the Lord. First Nephi chapter 2 is the first mention of this promise the Lord gives to Nephi. Uh, 19 and 20. 
of First Nephi chapter 2. But what does prosper mean? Heber G.A. Grant taught that when I say prosperity, I am not thinking in terms of dollars and cents alone. What I count as real prosperity is the growth in a knowledge of God and in testimony and the power to live the gospel and inspire our families to do the same. That is the prosperity of the truest kind. That is the prosperity that we can receive by following the Savior. Um, it can be easy in life sometimes to look and, and as in Malachi 3 say, it is vain to serve God and what does it profit? What profit is it that we've kept his ordinances and we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that they that tempt God are even delivered. And, you know, we, we can look out and see people, the wickedness of the world and it looks a lot like happiness and it's um, riches and wealth and, it, you know, we may be scrimping and saving and barely being able to get by. Uh, but if we follow the Lord and we trust in him, we will prosper in a deeper and truer way. Uh, the Savior said that uh, they, they may, other, the wicked may have joy in the season thereof, but by and by the end cometh. And I read, you know, verses 14 and 15 in Malachi, but in verse 17 he says, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. The happiness, living after a manner of happiness, that's the prosperity that comes from living the gospel. Um, it's a happiness that doesn't fade. It's a happiness that is everlasting and that quenches our souls. Um, and that only comes through the great mediator by choosing uh, liberty and eternal life through him. Uh, I love these verses and these chapters, and I, I thank you all for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the feedback. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and um, request to join. Come follow me, A Disciple's Journey Facebook group. Also, come follow me, A Disciple's Journey on Instagram. I'm going to be posting some more content and things on there, uh, having some discussions, posting uh, quotes and, and thoughts about the, the week's readings and, and whatnot. I really appreciate all the feedback and all the interaction that I'm having with you all. And uh, my, again, my greatest hope is that I can just spark you or your desire to to open up the scriptures and to study your study in a new and holier way uh, than you ever have before. And um, I know that living after the manner of happiness comes from trusting the Lord, uh, even through our trials. And it's through those trials that we can. Uh, behold his glory and that we can be redeemed and be encircled about uh, in the arms of his everlasting love.